Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM 640. You're listening to Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, on demand on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to home, where every week we help you better understand that place where you live. I am Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, here with you live, like I am every weekend, Saturday mornings from 6 to 8 Pacific time, Sunday mornings 9 to noon Pacific time. Thanks for joining us on the program on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Uh, We are talking about nature, spring, spring, sprunging, springing, sprung. Anyway, spring is here, and... uh, that poses some uh, some awesome things in terms of our homes. It also poses some challenges when it comes to our homes, when it comes to interacting with wildlife, pests, and other creatures around our house. We're going to be talking about bees uh, coming to your property, what to freak out about, what to not freak out about, what's a problem, what isn't a problem, and how you deal with the actual problem. That's coming up in uh, just a bit, actually, uh, next uh, segment. Right now, though, because it's the top of the hour, we're going to the phones. And so let's go back and let's talk to uh, Donald. Hey, Donald, welcome home. Hello. Nice talking to you. Uh, I'm a retired commercial plumber. Just uh, enjoy your show. Uh, I got a question. I want to re uh, put a change the color of my grout uh, between my ceramic tile, and I'm I hear there's product out there that will that's for that, and I'm just curious if you've ever done that. And then just a real quick question is uh, re- under the counter research pumps. Uh, gosh, why don't some one of the manufacturers Bell and Gossip? There's numerous ones come up with a, a like battery operated. Per se, a Dewalt battery, and instead of you know, people don't always have a plug under their bathroom sink. That's really where I need it. <clears throat> and then, uh, real quick, I just want to say I'm proud to say I live in the house that my grandfather built in 1926. It's a house that uh, I grew up in. That two by, actually two by three redwood studs and actual two inch by six inch redwood joists. Joyce's. It's uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, you should be. What a gem. And, and, and ex, you know, it's one thing. It's always a, I, I think it's such a blessing to be able to live in a century ho- a house, but to live in one that your grandfather built, that's, that is just fantastic, Donald. So, and uh, you're absolutely right about the under sink pumps. That would be a great idea. There are some manufacturers who are working to get around that anyway. In other words, we're, we're, there, I've seen some systems where we can actually put the the uh, the uh, the pumping control uh, back at the water heater and just activate actually the bridge valve underneath wirelessly activate the bridge valve underneath the sink so that we don't have to bring power underneath the sink. But I I think a rechargeable battery, considering what it does, would be a great idea anyway. All right, to the grout, to the tile. Um, yeah, there are there are there are stains and colorants out there. I don't I, I keep everybody away from anything that claims to be a grout paint because you know what? It just doesn't last. 
I don't do paint on concrete, and that's what grout is. It's a cementious product. It's going to, and the reason is because paint is is too much of a superficial uh, treatment, surface treatment, and any moisture that gets in from underneath will just push it right back off. As far as changing the color of grout, we don't do it often, but we have done it. Uh, and, and I've seen it in varying degrees of success, but here's where it is successful. Yes, there are good grout stains uh, and colorants out there on the market. You want to make sure you're getting a really, really high quality one. So I wouldn't necessarily find that at the, the big box store. I would find that at your local tile store and just say, hey, listen, I got to change the color of my grout. I need the best stuff that you guys have got. The key, though, is not just that product, uh, but the key is prepping the grout that you've got. Uh, it may be dirty, needs to be cleaned. Uh, it may be wet, it needs to be dry. And uh, most importantly, if it's been sealed in the past, even though it may not be sealed on the surface right now, there may be residual penetrating sealer down inside. So it would behoove you. We've had the best results when we've actually taken a very, very mild acid, uh, basically one that strips off sealant, uh, doesn't damage the tile, and just to clean up the grout lines just enough to make sure that we know we have opened up the porosity of the tile again because we want the the stain, uh, a.k.a. the grout colorant, to really bond and hold. Uh, and then after you've done that, let it dry. I can't say that enough. I can't stress it enough. Uh, cement is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sponge. It is an artificial stone sponge. Uh, if we want anything to penetrate and really grab onto it, the sponge, you know, can't be full of water. It needs to be dry, just like you don't expect a completely saturated wet sponge to soak up anything else. So dry that sponge, let it dry out for a couple of days after you've done all the stripping and cleaning, and then apply uh, the colorant, and uh, you should actually be good to go. And chances are you'll get a good result that could last uh, several years. And that's always an option to refresh grout as opposed to having somebody come in and, uh, and replace it all. All right, Donald, thank you for the call. Thanks for the story about your grandfather's house. Uh, it's just, that's just fantastic. All right, let's, uh, let's squeeze one more in here. Greg, welcome home. Hi. Uh, I have a, uh, an old uh, 26 built uh, home and it has uh, plywood flooring, but uh, on top of it, for some reason, they glued a quarter inch of masonite. Well, I had a relative living in it. They'll let the cats use it as a waste area uh, so i want to yeah. know if there's any way I've, I've scraped up a lot of it but uh is there any way i can patch it or i just have to scrape up everything uh well okay so the the thing with cats and uh, surfaces inside the house is this now, obviously you can scrape it all up if you feel like the masonite has uh, resisted the moisture issues okay so the hard surface feces and stuff like that, now, usually not the issue. The main thing with cats is that, you know, cats uh, are evolved uh, from, uh, from the desert. That's why the Egyptians used to worship them. Uh, cats uh, have an amazing ability to go a long period of time without water uh, because their body preserves it. But that is also why, as a result of having such little water in their system, that their urine is so concentrated and has that deep ammonia smell to it. Uh, if any of that has soaked into the masonite, 
then, uh, you know, I still wouldn't say tear it up immediately. I would say this. There are treatments out there. Uh, there are materials. Oh, number one, first level, white vinegar. White vinegar has an amazing job. Like I've always said, it has an acetic acid in it. It has an amazing job of cutting through and neutralizing ammonia odor. That may do the trick. Now, if it's worse than that, there are some products out there like Recon, which is, uh, I think they market it as extreme duty odor counteractant. Or there are also primers out there that are odor killing primers. We actually use them on the base of walls, but you can also use them on floors if the floor is uh, is open to a primer, which Masonite would be. So you could try a primer. You could try the, the extreme counteractant and the white vinegar. If none of that works, then you're going to be pulling out the Masonite. But I would say there's maybe an 8 out of 10 chance that uh, those would actually neutralize that odor. And if you get the odor under control, you're good to go, my friend. Uh, it really comes down to that. Uh, all right. Great questions, everybody. Thank you for your input. Thanks for calling. Thanks for hanging on to the line. And uh, when we return, guess what? We're going to talk a little bit more about bees with my very special in-studio guest, Nicole Palladino of Bee Catchers. And she's going to tell us the difference between swarms and hives and what to do if bees end up legitimately uh, making a home where you don't want them to in your house. That is next. I'm so glad you joined me this morning. So much more to come. Your home with Dean Sharp, the house was... You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful uh, Easter Sunday morning. It is gorgeous here in Southern California. If it's not gorgeous where you are, what's the deal? No, no, I'm sorry about that. But, uh, you know, spring is here. It's coming. It's coming to everybody. Uh, we're on our way. Uh, we are talking about uh, nature and our the nature interface between our homes and uh, the wildlife and the nature around us. Uh, I want to talk more about bees specifically, though, uh, this time much closer to home, actually at your home, uh, specifically when bees end up living in places where we don't want them to. Uh, also, you know, it's springtime and bees are swarming right now, which freaks people out because, frankly, uh, they don't understand what a swarm really is. Uh, so to tell us exactly that and how to remove bees properly uh, when they end up where we don't want them. Our next guest, uh, sitting across the table from me, Nicole Palladino. Nicole is a conservation biologist and the owner of Bee Catchers, which is a humane and effective live removal service that covers all of Southern California. So listen up. Uh, Nicole, buddy, welcome home. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. We are in for a treat, I think, this year with all of the rain that we've had. Right. It looks it, like the bees are going to explode. It does, especially because the food sources for them are just going to be brimming over with nectar. 100%. Yes. Uh, okay, forward. so there's two things that you and I have to talk about today. Number one, it's spring and swarms and everybody's misunderstanding of what that means. So we're going to cover that. And then if you can stay for one more segment after that, I, I just want to talk about the the financials of uh, bee rescue versus extermination and so that we can get kind of into the nitty gritty for homeowners to really understand. Wonder, okay. Yes. All right. It's spring. Swarms are happening. People don't understand what swarms are. In the next four weeks, I'm going to get 100 emails from people saying, Dean, I've got a beehive living in my front oak tree 
And what do I do? So I'm going to let you explain what's going on there and the difference between spring swarms and hives where they shouldn't be. Okay. So all hives, when they are going to split and migrate, an older queen is going to move with a portion of the hive and her successor, a daughter, is going to stay back in the older part of the hive. And that part is going to split to find another location. And that is what a swarm is called. So when the bees are flying around in a big frenzy, like a black cloud, that is them communicating with each other about where they're going to potentially land temporarily while scout bees go out and look for areas of more permanent shelter. It's just like you would if you were house hunting and you went to look at a whole bunch of open houses. You don't know what's out there yet. I so, love that metaphor. That's great. So I try to explain to people that although it could be very large, different shapes as far as a pineapple, basketball, it could be wrapped around the uh, you know branch of a tree. They're all bees that are just holding on to each other, protecting the queen somewhere in the middle there. She's in the middle of that ball. She's in the middle of that. And so when they're flying around, it's kind of like their way to look big and scary because they're very vulnerable. They have taken their last meal before they left the hive. They don't have any more food at the time. They have no shelter. They're exposed. So the flying around is their way to kind of ward off anybody um, that is a potential harm to them um, or a predator. And they want to land, protect their queen who has not flown in a while. So she is weaker than normal. She's, she's larger. Queen. Exactly. And she hasn't flown in, in a while. So she's a little rusty. So her ability to fly long periods of time right now is, is not that good. So they're going to find somewhere and usually go 300 to 500 feet from where they branch off, where you may never even know where that established colony is. They're all over the place. Then they can land on a tree, a bush, a fence, someone's grill of their car, a bicycle, any place you can possibly imagine, the ground. Um, and they will rest there anywhere from literally an hour to a few days. Sometimes it can be a bit longer if the scout bees haven't found a suitable place that the hive agrees on to move. Um, and then they can stay in one place altogether and then quickly decide on a more permanent place or they can leave. And then all of a sudden they're gone and the people are like, but wait, the next day now they're back again in the same place because they may not have actually liked the place where they chose. They fell out of escrow. Right. They were like, mm, it's closing <laughs> cost or too much. So I'm sorry. So. Okay. I want to underscore something you said. I love how you said it this way, that that when we see the big black cloud of bees, that that's, that's designed that way to look intimidating and scary because they're vulnerable. Right. So let's, I just want everybody listening to hear us now. That is meant to look intimidating. Correct. They're not there but to hurt you. these bees of all times in their life cycle, these bees in that big black cloud, they are not, not on the attack. No. And I've never in my career of doing this 24 years now, I have never seen a swarm of bees attack a person. I've seen I've been caught in one crossing the middle of a crosswalk. If you get scared and you flail just like anything else, yes, and you start throwing around. They'll react. You can accidentally get stung. You you're in their flight path and, and you bump one and but if you stay calm, you can have a swarm all around you and walk right through it. They will pass you. They, they are, will leave you alone. Human beings are the last thing that they are thinking about. They're very literally. nervous. They're very, very scared, actually. They they are more in fear than we should be of them because they have nothing at the moment. And they're also a, a little on the lethargic side because they have tanked up. You said their last meal before right. leaving the hut. They have tanked up as much as they can. So right. they're kind of in that after Thanksgiving dinner phase where 
you know, they're not at their athletic best. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> at that moment. Right. And so you have to think like they are not going to have food until they actually get somewhere to start building comb and, and foraging to start producing a food supply for themselves. Okay. So a hive home, mm-hmm. a colony that has settled, it's not just a bunch of bees. It's right. comb and an entire structure. So right. this is the difference between the swarm. Now, what happens if, oh, we're, we're pushing right, we're going to start and we'll okay. pick it up on the other side. But it is a reality that, uh, that you know, living with bees, there are times when hives, real hive colonies get built in places that we don't want them to be. Right. If you do end up getting a hive that ends up in like in a wall void or you see bees flying in out of like a hole underneath your eave or in between a fence, things like that, then that means that that hive is now colonizing where they are starting to build honeycomb. The queen is starting to lay eggs. They are starting to forage and bring pollen back so they can make honey. And that is an established colony that is looking to stay. And with intervention, you should have it removed because they will continue to grow. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect. So again, visually, a big ball of bees or a beard, as we call them, of bees, uh, that is not, by definition, that's not a hive. Once they have really settled in, it's going to be somewhere protected where most of the bees you don't see. And what you will see, though, are bees coming in and out of some small, uh, you know, uh, space, some bottleneck space, a hole in the tree, that hole, you know, uh, the, the a little gap in the corner under an eave in the house, wherever. You're not going to see all those bees. Right. You're just going to see kind of the traffic from the airport yes, flying the in the foragers out. that are out. Um, all right, when we come back, let's talk about the removal, the humane removal of yes. those bees and if that's possible and the uh, the monetary issues behind it. Can you hang on for one more second? I can, thank you. All right, you're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. All right, let's finish up our conversation on bees today and in general, our conversation on uh, the interface of your home with uh, nature. I'll have some more thoughts for you uh, next segment. But uh, for now, bees are not pests. They do not belong on your list of pests, but they can end up in places they don't belong, uh, like your home, inside attics or crawl spaces or even down inside walls sometimes. And when that happens, it's time to get them out. So you pick up the phone and you make a call. But listen to me. Do not call an exterminator for at least three reasons, okay? Number one, it will likely cost you more to call an exterminator than to call the right person. It will, number two, cost the bees their lives. And number three, it will cost our entire local ecosystem the loss of millions of pollinated plants and flowers. Millions, one hive, millions of pollinated plants and flowers. So to tell us how to do it right, the person you should call, the right person to call, uh, my buddy Nicole Palladino of Bee Catchers. Nicole, you do live removal. So tell us what is that and how does it work? So live bee removal, the exterminator, if they come out, basically all they're going to do, and I I want people to understand this because I hear this a lot. Well, somebody came out and they smoked the bees out and they're gone now. And then they sealed the hole. That doesn't happen. Smoke does not remove bees from a structure. Smoke will push bees farther away because they are in fear that there's a potential fire. They will gorge on honey. 
they will become tired and they will move farther away. When they're telling you that they're using that, generally it's their way to let you know, to think that they have done something proper, but they have exterminated them with a poison, with a dust, with something that has killed them. So as beekeepers, we use smoke to block the intruder senses of the hives when we go to work with, with them so that we can open them and work with them and check on them. Smoke is used for those specific reasons, not to bring bees out of a structure or some other place where they have colonized. So I want people to understand that. Removing a hive means opening up a structure, removing the bees alive and taking out all of the honeycomb that they have built, including the larva and everything else that is in there. And if it's not removed, it will be a food source for other unwanted pests and rodents. It can ferment and cause mold because honey attracts moisture. It can be a problem when it gets warm because honey will start to melt and leak. And many times we have had customers call and there's honey dripping from their ceiling. There's honey dripping down their wall because it gets heavy and it starts to break into and break down the structure of what it's laying on. Just to interrupt you there. Not a lot of people, I think, realize that bees maintain a very rigid temperature within their hive. And so they haven't just built honeycomb and stored honey in there, but they're maintaining it. And so without the bees, right. the maintenance is gone. And that's when it just it can melt and I mean, right. just cause all they sorts of problems. They move their wings to keep the temperature at a certain place so that it doesn't end up melting. So they cap the, the end of the cells to keep that honey inside. But when it's a hot summer day, if it's in an attic and it's 130 degrees and there's no bees to take care of it, naturally it's going to break down. So we encourage people to ask questions, ask the questions that you want to really truly know the answers to of where these bees are going, how do they remove it, what's going to happen, how are they not going to come back, things like that. So exterminators are very expensive. A company will come out for $400, many of these large you know, extermination companies, and come and put poison in a hole and walk away. Not remove anything, not seal it up, just spray it with a whole bunch of poison that is airborne to you and your family. So calling an exterminator is the last thing I, I would encourage you to ever do. Calling a company to come and remove it can be more affordable. Even if it's a swarm of bees, you're looking at $150, $125 compared to people that will come out and spray it for three or 400 and there's dead bees all over the ground. Now, when you guys uh, collect bees, I'm going to ask you the hard question. Where do those bees go, Nicole? So uh, we have a sanctuary in the mountains in Chatsworth, 160 acres of private land that we bring all of our bees to. And depending on the needs of the community, they are given away at nonprofit to crops for farmers throughout Central California, urban beekeepers, people who may have lost their hives through harsh winters, things like that. So our revenue is made on our removal process, but all of our rescued bees are given away at nonprofit, always have, always will, to the community, to the farmers, to the crops, and then some stay at the sanctuary depending on what, right. what, what the needs are. Are we making ground? How How is this going? Are we slipping? Is Are we holding? Are we, are we making ground with this? I think we're making ground because some of the larger corporations like Caltrans, Metro, State of California, these people are people that we work with um, and have changed the idea of what these bees mean and how they're affected by pesticides, EMFs, electromagnetic frequency waves, urbanization, and things like that. And the more people that I talk to, thousands of people every year, the more that I hear that they are in tune with understanding the higher good of what bees really are here and meant 
to do. It's not just a flying insect that can, you know, become a nuisance. Bees are not pests. No, they're no, not. They are not. And, and, so and pest control is not part of their equation. Correct. And so, yes, we're making progress. So talk to me about schools. So we've been trying very hard for many, many years to get to the larger organizations. And finally, we have been able to secure an agreement with LAUSD that handles over a thousand campuses to no longer exterminate bees. And it is an amazing feeling because now not only are those pesticides not being used on any of the campuses, we're able to save and rescue hundreds, if not thousands of hives. And there's some really amazing people that are heading this initiative. A fresh look, a fresh start, a fresh mind, understanding that these are extremely important for the greater good of humanity. And so I think this is a great thing and parents should be really, really happy too. It is a great thing. I am so happy for you. Thank I'm just you. happy. I'm happy for us. I'm happy in general that we're, that we're moving forward. It's a big forward. deal. Nicole, it is always a Thank pleasure you. to have you on the show. I'm just, I'm, I'm just sad that you're not more passionate. I know, I'm sorry. I've just been, I've been told that many times. It's just my passion. Is, it's All right, fair. everybody. Nicole Palladino. How do they get a hold of bee catchers? Um, can I say one more thing, really? Quick? Oh, sure. Okay. So one other thing I just wanted to touch on is I also wanted to let you guys know about the use of medicinal honey or even raw, unfiltered honey, not only for allergies, for a natural sweetener, but for wound healing. Manuka honey and other types of raw, unfiltered, unpasteurized honey is groundbreaking. A lot of topical antibiotics are becoming not as useful anymore because of the resistance. And they have found through so much research that the use of honey in wound healing is amazing. It's full of flavonoids and it causes the healing process to speed up without the risk of infection. So if you are interested, please reach out to us at Bee Catchers. You can see us online at www.beecatcherssocal.com. You can reach us toll free at 866-544-0074. Or you can just come over here because uh, yeah. Nicole and I are just hanging out. We are. That's so, the way it works. Yes. But I'm always here for anybody who has questions. Um, never too busy. Thanks, boss. Thank you. All right. You can't say it any better than that. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. Welcome home. Thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning, especially your Easter Sunday morning with us here uh, on the program. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed and been uh, informed on all of these issues, everything from uh, this weekend from pests uh, rodents, getting them out of your house, keeping them out of your house, the proper way to trim your trees and handle your trees during the spring, how to draw more birds and create more habitat in your uh, uh, backyard or all around your property. By the way, the, that was those were yesterday, trees and birds, yesterday's program. So uh, if you missed that, go back, hit the podcast and listen to that episode as well. That was part one. Today, talking about uh, excluding rodents safely, humanely, without destroying the rest of our natural environment here in our mountain areas here in Southern California, not using rodenticides, doing it the right way, and, uh, and then bees uh, and the critical role that they play for all of us here. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, pests. The word pest, this is not a taxonomical uh, uh, scientific term. The word pest, it's like the word weed, okay? Uh, what is a weed, okay? Well, a weed is not a plant. A weed is any plant uh, that is growing in your, you know, purview that you don't want there, 
That's what a weed is, right? In a, in the yard, you call them weeds. On the mountains, we call them, you know, open grasses <laughs> and grasslands. So pests, the same kind of term. It's a subjective term. It's not a scientific term. It's a subjective term. One of the things that I advise my clients all the time, as far as their own homes, is to embrace nature. The more that you embrace the presence of nature, the less that you feel the need to sterilize your property from the presence of little things that are creeping and crawling and moving around. And, you know, the the less you do that, the less at war with nature you are and the fewer pests that you have. Around here, I mean, here's a rule. Those of you who keep chi chickens, you know this. Where there are chickens, there are rats. Just, just they go hand in hand, unless you have an outdoor cat like we do now. But where there are chickens, there are rats. There are rats here on our property. They come out at night, not during the day. Uh, so they're not running over. They're not biting us. They're not attacking us. And most importantly, we have excluded them from our home. Uh, they can't get in. They can't get into our house. They can't get into our attic. And so they're just here. And we do not consider the rodents on our property to be pests. We simply consider them part of the wildland that, uh, that we live in. They're part of nature. Uh, they're here and uh, they're not bugging us. They're not bugs, which bug people. That's another word, subjective term. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to remind you of that and that if you change your perspective on how you treat your property, I, I am, I'm, I've, I've grown weary of homeowners that feel the need to sterilize their property, especially those who move on the edge of wildland spaces and then wage all out war against creatures who live in those wild spaces. It's like, go somewhere else, move somewhere else. They were there first. We can share all this space together. Anyway, some of you are already started asking, uh, which I'm excited about. There's, you're saying, I am so excited about beekeeping now. How do I start? Well, you know, there's a lot of ways to enter into beekeeping. Let me suggest three simple steps, though, that you've already heard us discuss today. Number one, check with your city to make sure you're allowed to and, uh, you know, that you're not breaking the rules. And if you are allowed, what are the rules specifically? L.A. City, you're allowed to. A lot of counties, uh, in, and it's growing, by the way. The acceptance of backyard beekeeping in California is growing, only growing. It's a good thing. Number two, uh, once you know that you're allowed, uh, you know, take a beekeeping class with my friend Keith Roberts over at the Valley Hive. In other words, start your education. Make the uh, pilgrimage to the Valley Hive. Not only, by the way, uh, can you take the classes there, but they can set you up with all the gear you need uh, to get it going. And then step three, you need some bees. And, you know, there's different ways of approaching that, too. You can start from scratch. You can literally order a colony of bees in the mail. That's true. You can order a queen uh, to uh, to replace uh, uh, an elderly queen or just start a new hive. But here's a suggestion. Uh, you call Nicole Palladino over at Bee Catchers and uh, and see what she's got on hand with her bee rescue sanctuary. If you were listening carefully, one of the things that they do with their rescued bees is that, uh, you know, they give them away uh, to responsible individuals. And if you've already educated yourself and you're ready for a hive, Nicole would be more than happy 
to uh, give you a hive of bees, a colony of bees to live inside your hive boxes and to thrive. And they will. They will thrive. So there you go. I uh, hope that all uh, works for you. I hope you have enjoyed uh, the weekend and everything that we're talking about. One thing before uh, we move on to my final thoughts. Uh, now that I got you all excited about transforming your home in this way, uh, you know, you need to figure out how you're going to pay for it. <laughs> so don't miss what comes next. How to Money with uh, Joel Larsgaard. Great new show here on KFI. He's coming up next. So uh, if you're enjoying listening thus far, don't go anywhere. And uh, uh, Joel will be right up after we're done. Okay. I am going to leave you with this thought today. It's Easter Sunday. It's a beautiful day outside. I started this weekend by talking about the concept of displacement. Displacement is what happens whenever any creature on planet Earth makes for itself a dwelling, right? Something that was there before gets moved aside. A gopher digs a hole and soil is displaced. A beaver builds a dam and the stream is displaced. We build our homes and they displace. And yet, somehow, both the gopher and the beaver have found some kind of synergy with the world around them, while we, yeah, not so much. Uh, in my thinking, by the way, that doesn't mean humankind is some kind of disease or that we don't somehow have the right to be here. Such views uh, set humans apart from the world when in fact we are a product of this natural world. Of course we have the right to be here as much as anyone or anything does. But we also have to look at ourselves honestly and soberly and accept that when it comes to the natural world, and our brand of displacement, we have a well-earned reputation at this point for being the proverbial bull in the China shop. I, I, I think that's a fitting description, actually, because like the bull, for a very long time, we were not conscious of the consequences of our movements or just how fragile everything around us was. And even now, like the bull, I believe most of us have absolutely no intention to do damage to this world. The difference, though, between us and the bull is now we are beginning to realize how fragile everything is. And unlike the bull, if we choose, we can stop breaking things. So why do we break things? Again, I have to disagree with many of my fellow nature lovers on this. I don't think we break things because there are too many of us or because there's not enough room for us. And I don't think it's because we're naturally destructive. I think we break things because we are running from something or more to the point, being chased by something. And if you think about it, you and I both know what that is. Right now, all across the Western world, Easter Sunday celebrations are retelling a story of a triumph over death in the hope that we too are somehow going to defeat death. Death is chasing us. Well, it's not really, but that's how it feels. And we are running for our lives. Now think about this. Have you ever noticed how much collateral damage takes place during a chase scene in a movie? Think about that. And now if a villain comes to town and starts destroying things, that's a crime. 
But when the hero is literally running for their life, we allow it. If you are running for your life, all bets are off. The rules are suspended, and it doesn't matter what messes get made along the way. That's us. You can vilify us, call us greedy or arrogant or selfish. Okay, fine. Those charges will probably stick. But deeper than that, I think we're just nervous and scared and running. And if I'm right, then humanity's problem with nature is not really environmental. It's existential. It's kind of spiritual. Our problem is with death. And maybe we will solve that one day. But to be honest, I don't think that's going to happen before my time here expires. So how do I deal with death? Well, I live. I live while I'm alive. And every week, I encourage you to do exactly the same thing. I live and I try to live in the most excellent way possible. Not running from my life, but embracing my life. And this is what I have found to be true. When you try to live that way, to fully live every moment as much as you can, suddenly even the smallest of things matter. Sunrises and sunsets matter. Doing things excellently matters. Smiles matter. Tears matter. Small kindnesses matter. Things like trees and birds and bees matter. And because so much matters, you find yourself holding the world more carefully, causing less collateral damage and less displacement. The philosopher Alain de Botton put it this way. I love this. We owe it to the fields that our houses will not be the inferiors of the virgin land they have replaced. We owe it to the worms and the trees that the buildings we cover them with will stand as promises of the highest and most intelligent kind of happiness. The most intelligent kind of happiness. I am of the belief that we can live in synergy with our world if we choose to stop running for our lives and just start living our lives. I have no idea what comes next, but I know what's here now. I am. And as for as long as I am here, I'm going to try my best to stop running and breaking things and instead start living and building myself a beautiful life. Everybody, enjoy this beautiful Easter Sunday. We'll see you right back here next week. This has been Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. Tune into the live broadcast on KFI AM 640 every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 Pacific Time and every Sunday morning from 9 to noon Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.